uh, just verses 19 and, uh, and 20. And it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and, moth and uh, rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Just feel a lot of uh, like God is really challenging us. I, I know He's challenging me personally. I think He's challenging us as a as a church to uh, to live and to orient our lives around something greater than than the the moment. You know that we live in a in a culture that lives for the moment, lives for instant gratification, but to orient ourselves around something that's bigger and something that'll last. And, uh, and something that, as this passage says, just can't be destroyed. I remember those t-shirts when I was in high school, you know, he who dies with the most toys still dies. And uh, I remember I wanted that t-shirt so much because it seemed so cool, and now I see that it's just, actually, it's just really wise. Um, and uh, it's... It's such a, a continued challenge because it's, it's so hard to live that way. And uh, God is always calling us to, to something higher. And at the same time, there's this culture that always feels like it's pulling us back down. And at the same time, we war within us with, with um, you know, maybe a, a soul that wants to, to be safe, wants to be secure, wants to be comfortable. It doesn't want the risk. It doesn't want the, uh, doesn't want the you know, the pain <laughs> that sometimes accompanies um, and in that, I think God is developing us, is developing our character, is challenging us, is calling us to, to really understand what it is that we're living for. And this is, I, I'm going to be uh, you know, getting more into that uh, a bit later, but um, just, with, just to give you a little bit of an update on where Julia and I um, are at, I, you know, I try not to speak theoretically. I try to speak out of what uh, God's doing in, in me and doing in us. And you know, we've been um, we've been just trying to get ready for to go as missionaries to Italy. We've been doing that for I don't know, maybe six months, eight months. I don't even know how long. Um, and it's it's interesting because I remember getting up, well, not here, but you know, in front of you all um, several months ago, and just talking about how in the journey I feel like God is really challenging faith to to grow up in us, and uh, just how the just that it's not about the numbers that we see in front of us. It's not about how much money we've raised or anything like that. It's not about how much money we can get for our house that that makes what we feel like God has called us to do possible. It makes what what we really need to orient ourselves around in, in, in our bit of the journey is that a generous God who called us to something and is going to make the way possible for us to do what he has called us to do. And, uh, you know, I, I think I said that with a lot of conviction. And I, I think with all these journeys, you get to the point where you start to really question if uh, the, the convictions you hold at the beginning are really true. And uh, I just think that's how it works. And... Um, and I know that for me personally, you know, things were coming in, the money was getting raised, it was looking really great. And yet at the same time, I, I saw where we were at and where we needed to go. And it's just, I don't know if we can do this. <laughs> you know, it's not coming in fast enough. It's just not enough people that we know. You know, it's just a lot of things that I, I just, 
start to wonder how this is going to work and you know try to talk up faith in, in each other and I think for the most part God was really giving us a lot of faith but um one of the cool things that that I think God shows us is that what we see in directly in front of us is not really what he's seeing and uh just completely out of the blue for us we uh, we had somebody just call us up and say there's this a church in, in London, England, that, that needs somebody to come in and, and do some leadership development for some, uh, to raise up leaders who can take on the youth ministry. And they need just a temporary thing. They'll give you housing and a small amount of money. And uh, we want you to come for, for a little bit to do that. And we got in contact with the church, and they seemed amazing, and they really want us to come. And we started adding things up. And, you know, with the amount of money that we have raised right now and, and what they can kind of offer us, it's not a wealthy church, but they can offer us a little bit. And you add these, things to, these two things together, and it was possible, even though I didn't see it was possible, you know, that, that God saw this opportunity in front of us this whole time. When, when we had no idea when we were struggling with it. And, and I, just, yeah, I just say that because I'm, I'm just so impressed with how God works in this. And, you know, we get so caught up in how we're feeling. We get so caught up in, in the sense of risk. We get so caught up in, in stepping out and, and feeling like we've got to make this work. And all, at the, God is standing over on the side and saying, you have no idea how easy this is for me. You don't understand that I already have it planned out. It's not up to you. You don't have to figure this out. You just got to follow me and I'll do it. And, uh, you know, that's the sort of thing that, that we talk about. And, and it's a challenge to live, but I, I feel like it's been really great for us right now. And so, anyways, I'm just letting you know, this, this isn't a done deal or anything right now. It's, um, I'm going to be flying to London at the end of the month to, to check it out. The church is going to bring me in there for a week. And... Um, and so that's, that's kind of what's happening. I just appreciate your prayers and that. We're really excited because it, 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 it's, it's not Italy, but it's so much closer. <laughs> and uh, it's, it, the church there is, is excited. They, they said, we want to get behind what you're doing in Italy and actually make it possible for you to be active in Italy even while you're living in London. And we want to back you in, in the future, too, by sending teams from our church to, to Italy and, 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 and just the resources they do, they do have available. And so it seems that it's not going to be a, a pause from, from going to Italy so much as it's going to be building for a better future. So we're very excited about it, and just really appreciate your prayers. I'm going to be, um, yeah, I'm going to be coming back to, to some of what I said there a little bit later. We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 20. We kind of switched around the, the gospel reading and, and, and this reading, but I'm going to be kind of integrating this. Um, you know, just thinking about, uh, about what it takes to follow what God is calling us to do, the, the challenge that is inherent in the journey, and I was... Um, I was kind of randomly thinking of uh, of a missionary that I knew. He's actually probably the first missionary that I ever met in my life. And he uh, he used to come traveling. Uh, he was doing some promotions for missions. And, and so he'd, he'd come across country. And he stayed at our house every time that he uh, that he, he crossed our path. And so I got to know him pretty well. There's a guy named uh, Marshall Lawrence. And uh, he worked with Wycliffe Bible Translators. And... Uh, Wickle, uh, he used to tell his story a lot, and it's, it's one that kind of stuck with me. And he went with his wife and his, I think, two two kids, and they moved in um, in the 60s, I believe. 
actually it'd be late 50s, they moved to Papua New Guinea. I don't know if you know where Papua New Guinea is or what it's like there, but it's probably one of the most remote and isolated places on earth. Not even just in where it is on the globe, but where they were actually living was in the jungle in the mountains, far beyond the reach of any road. And they were doing Bible translation, you know, translating this whole thing, that's a lot of words, translating this whole thing into a language that no outsider had ever learned before. So they had to move to this village, middle of nowhere, no roads. I, I think they, they just, you know, hiked in, hired some porters, hiked in, set up camp in a village, couldn't speak a word to the villagers, the villagers couldn't speak a word to them. And they spent 30 years learning the language, translating the Bible, sharing uh, some of the gospel. That is a set of challenges that I can't even comprehend. <laughs> and to do it in a place where you don't really have support, you, you spend a lot of time without seeing any results. You aren't doing it for recognition because probably nobody except for those in the village even know you're there. The only way in and out is if you make an airstrip and maintain it. It is a hard life to do for one year, live for one year like that, and they did it for 30. I just find that incredibly challenging and inspiring. And I can't help but think, what not only motivates you to go and give yourself to this life, what keeps you there? How do you do that? How do you not just like fall apart? You know, the first bout of dysentery or something like that. I think that most of us would be out of there in a hurry. How do you stick it out? I love uh, the challenge of stories like this. Because it, it, it profoundly speaks into a culture that, that wants to be instantly gratified. That wants to be comfortable. And at the same time, it invites us into uh, living into the kingdom of God, the reality of God that lives by a completely different set of priorities. And uh, I think I was inspired to, um, to think of Marshall uh, because of this passage in Acts 20. And this is when we read it maybe two or three weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer in one of our Wednesday prayer meetings. And this is uh, Paul speaking Paul had just uh, kind of on the tail end of one of his missionary journeys, I think the third journey, which I believe is his longest one, and he spent many years you know, traveling around. He spent a little bit of time at each church and occasionally accepted there, occasionally persecuted, um, but just planting, uh, planting churches in these, these different cities around the Roman Empire. And he's on his way back, and he's heading back to Jerusalem, now, he, uh, he'd been specifically called to share the gospel with those who weren't Jews. And uh, this, it's, I mean, the fact that he did this is probably the reason we're all here today. But at the time, it was pretty controversial. And a lot of the Jewish Christians weren't exactly fond of him. A lot of the Jews who, who weren't Christians weren't exactly fond of him either. And he was on his way here, uh, right back to Jerusalem, right to the, the, the core of this anger towards him. And on his way, he, 
he meets with a group of the elders from one of the churches that he planted, the church in, in Ephesus. And he doesn't meet with them in Ephesus because I think he's worried that they're going to try to get him to stay. So he meets with them as some random um, port town where they had to, you know, make a journey to, to come to meet with him. And he just he spends this time, and it's almost like his last words. Not because it were his last words, but I think because nobody knew if he was uh, ever going to, um, if they were ever going to see him again. Actually, I think they were pretty confident that they weren't. Um, and so he's just sharing with them some of, of his final thoughts. And I'll read, uh, just starting, this is Acts 20, starting in verse 17. I'm just going to break it up here, but the, the first paragraph says, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came to the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Paul uh, did this, these, these little talks like that, or little paragraphs in the letters that he wrote. He did that a fair bit. And, you know, as I said, he's pretty controversial, so part of that is just to defend what he was doing. I think part of that was also just to remind himself of what he was been up to, 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 to maybe speak some confidence, confidence into himself. But I find it interesting what he deems um, important to remind them of. He doesn't remind them of the numbers of churches that he planted. He doesn't remind them of the number of people who became Christians. He doesn't remind them of how many cities he visited or how many times that he was persecuted. He reminds them of the obedience that he showed wherever he went. He reminds them of the faithfulness to what God had called him to do, that that he lived out. If I think anybody in the history of Christianity is justified in, in maybe keeping a scorecard of, of everything that is, you know, the statistics of what he has accomplished, I think it was Paul. But he didn't do that. Paul was reminding them just of, of obedience. To be obedient to what God had called them to do. Now many of us are probably pretty familiar with the story of Paul and he went into a whole lot of places did a whole lot of things and he uh, he had a whole lot of difficult things happen to him with well, shipwrecks, imprisonments beatings, stonings, riots this guy saw them all it's interesting that he knew that they were coming that's what it, it says as we go on here in verse 22. It says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my, my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. If I was Paul, standing 
at the gates of a city, wondering if I should go in or not, and I hear a warning from the Holy Spirit saying that if I, if I go in, if I start preaching the gospel, that what waits me on the other side is prison and hardships, maybe beatings. I'm going to be persecuted. I would take that as a warning to turn and to run in the other direction. I'd say, I think that was God telling me that, that this is not my will for you. I'm here to take care of you, right? I'm here to protect you. That obviously can't be my will. Time to get out of there as fast as you can. But it doesn't seem from this like maybe that's what God is concerned about. Maybe God is not primarily worried about preventing us from going through you know, some struggles or going through the hardships, for avoiding uh, any opposition to what we do. Maybe he's concerned about how we'll respond in those hardships and the struggles. Maybe he's concerned with our faithfulness and our obedience, regardless of our circumstance. I think Paul is living out a very simple rule here, that faithfulness to God is better than life. Faithfulness to God is better than life. And as a consequence to to living according to this rule, Paul has bound himself in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Even if the Holy Spirit is telling him to walk into hardships, it's telling him to, to walk towards prison and, and, and stonings and all these different things. Even if it means that, I've bound myself in obedience, I'm going to walk into it. It meant that, that he had to know that in God that he was safe in the middle of all that. Paul had to know that, that the prison, that all that stuff that the Holy Spirit was worrying him about, that that wasn't actually telling him that he was in any danger. He had to know that even with all that, that he was safe. And in that, he also had to give the details of what was happening over to God. And he said in, in, in verse 22 here, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. At least, I guess, not in the specifics, because he goes on to say um, that I only know that you know, prison and hardships are facing me. But what exactly that means, I don't know. But I guess he didn't need to know. I guess that was okay. I guess he had given that over to God. I guess that he had trusted God with all of that. Now, to say that um, faithfulness is better than life, it's, it doesn't just mean that we're content not knowing what's going to happen. It means that we're content even if we know that what's going to happen isn't going to be easy. I don't know how you live like this unless you're completely convicted and convinced that we serve a good and a loving and a faithful and a generous God. At the same time, I think that the reverse is true. That if we 
are convicted and convinced that we serve a good and a loving and a faithful and a generous God, how could we live in any other way? And that's, um, that's where it gets me. If God is who he says he is, if God is who we have actually been saying that he is, how could we live in any other way? How could we hold anything back? How could we not step out in obedience? We think of um, what it takes to live the Christian life in the way that they did in the early church. And, uh, and like we read about in this whole book of Acts, I think it begins with a confidence that we are safe. Paul wrote it's, uh, in, in 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. This slight momentary affliction is working for us as an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This slight momentary affliction. I just said what he went through, you know, the prison, shipwrecks, the beatings, the stonings, all these different things. And he considered that a slight momentary affliction. I don't know what his definition of that is, but I think it's different than mine. But, you know, I think he saw that in context with what God had in store for us, what God had in store for him. If we, um, if we want a trip to Fiji... And along the way, we had it all expense paid. You know, we had five-star accommodation in Fiji. And along the way, on our way to the airport, we happened to hit a great sale. You know, maybe we got a, a shirt and a pair of shoes or something. 25% off, great deal. And we come back and we're talking with our friends. Are we going to be talking about the sale that we hit or the time we had in Fiji? Of course, we're talking about Fiji. Sail, man, as great as it was, it just pales in comparison. I think Paul was seeing his life in the same way. You know, I'm going through some hard stuff. I'm going, you know, things are a little bit difficult. I'm in prison. But you know what? I'm not even going to remember this when I get to the other side. I'm not even going to remember this when I see all that God has in store for me. Not even going to remember this when I see God come in, in, in mo- even more power than He has so far in my life. Not even going to remember this. It just it won't matter. A large part of our struggle when we are struggling is that we're keenly aware of what we're going through in the moment. But we don't easily see things from God's perspective. We don't see what God is seeing. We don't see what's coming, what's around the bend. So we say, because today is hard, I can't trust Him with tomorrow. What Paul would say to us, is because tomorrow is secure, how could you not trust Him with today? Because tomorrow is secure, how could you not trust Him with today? 
There's safety because our ultimate de- identity or destiny is not here at all, but in a place that our circumstances can't touch. And we desperately need this truth to go deep into our spirits. We need to know this and live out of this. We live, you know, in a culture, the instant gratification culture. I want to feel good right here, right now. And Paul is living on a different plane. He's living for something greater, something bigger. I think Jesus is calling us in the same way. He's, he's, we have this choice just permanently in front of us. We can have safety and comfort right now, or we can tie ourselves in obedience to the Spirit with the risk that, that goes with that. And the secret that we're learning is that there really is no risk. That, in fact, nothing could be more secure. I may give up what I love to, in obedience to Jesus, but then I find out that I'm better off for it. My... Um, my sister has been going through uh, a bit of a crazy time with her eyes, and she's, she's just had a bunch of surgeries. And every surgery that she's gone through, has, it's been textbook, except for when she gets to the recovery, in which, um, which time everything that could possibly go wrong goes wrong. And I'm not just saying that. I'm, that's what, a quote from the doctor who said, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. And instead of three days or a week of recovery for, for her eyes after these surgeries, her eyes turn just black. They're so full of blood. She can't see anything. It's excruciating pain with all the pressure. Um, and there's the risk in each one. Well, you know, maybe, maybe her vision wouldn't come back. That's it's a difficult thing. And she went into these surgeries. She could see fine. And then she goes through the surgery. She has all this pain, all this, this really hard time in the recovery. The weird thing is, is that she's gone for four of these. Why would you do that? You do that because you know that as difficult as this, this recovery time is, these two or three weeks of recovery, although it's a lot of pain, although it, it's awful not being able to see with my eye, although, I mean, she looks like she's from this horror movie. It's, it's pretty hilarious, you know, with this black eye. But do you know what? It's worth it because it means sight for a lifetime. Right? And so she keeps going back four times. That's what, how Jesus is calling us to look at our circumstances. And I, I mean, I share from my circumstances, our circumstances. You know, things were, things were tough, and it's hard not to get discouraged. You feel like you're carrying a lot of weight. It, it, you know, it was, it was difficult. And yet, through it all, I knew that God was challenging us to say, you know what, if you want to see what I have for you, you've got to go through this. You can't just cut and run. Well, you can, but you're going to miss out. And so you persevere. So you keep going. Because... You believe in a God who's good enough 
who's loving enough to make it worth our while. Now Paul, Paul had been called to be a missionary to the, to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. After his call, what happens? The logical thing, right? Go spend seven years in the desert. This guy, he had been trained by the greatest teacher that Israel had to offer. He was way high up there in, in, in you know, among the, the, the thinkers, really well educated in everything. And he gives seven years of his life to be retrained. I don't believe for a second that that didn't challenge his character. That didn't challenge his humility. And then he begins to walk into what God has called him to do. And he's persecuted for it. Not once, but again and again and again and again and again. And probably like what uh, you know, a doctor would say to, to my sister, you'd probably say to Paul, where you, you read through Acts and you say, wow, everything that could go wrong here is going wrong. You know, he gets on a boat and it's shipwrecked. Goes to get some wood and he's bitten by a snake. He goes into a city and there's inevitably a riot that starts because of it. Do we really think that that was easy for him? Now God, I believe, gives us a picture of what could be. We've been, you know, learning a lot about the prophetic, where God gives us a picture of what he can do in us, what he can make possible in us, and through our lives, what he has in store for us. But it doesn't come gift-wrapped on a silver platter. It demands that, that we allow our character to be developed. That we allow our character to be challenged. It's like Paul had to go and spend those seven years having his character challenged. Are you going to be ready for what God has for you? And it demands that, that, that we live in this faithful obedience regardless of circumstances. That we believe that a loving father only has good things for us even when circumstances tell us otherwise. And both these may hurt. But if we live to be comfortable, we're never going to see the promise that God has for us fulfilled. So are we willing to give up our today, you know, our free time, our comfort, our safety, our money, and see the power of God demonstrated in our lives tomorrow. And it takes vision, it takes a vision for what God can do in us. I think of Paul given this vision that he's going to be this missionary to the Gentiles, that God through him was going to show just un- uncounted numbers of people about his love. That was the vision Paul had for his life. And so he could go through so many things. I think we need to have a vision for our lives. We need to know what God can do in us. We need to know what God can do through us. We need to know what he is offering to us. And so I want to encourage you. We're going to have a time um, just after communion. We're going to have some people praying. If you have never been given a word, 
where God is telling you what he can do in you, what he can do through you, what, his, what the potential that he sees in you is. But you need to get that. You need to know what God sees because you're not going to see it on your own. If you think you see something on your own, it's not big enough. It's not as big as what God wants to do. And so I'm going to encourage you to go and actually get prayer for that. Because you need to hear something specific. And at the same time, if you have heard something and maybe you feel like you need to be refocused in that, maybe you feel like you need to be reminded or given the strength to, to maybe see it through and to, to hold on to the faithful obedience, I think you too need to get prayer. And then the Spirit will, will work and God will give you what you need. And we do this in the conviction that if we put ourselves in the hands of a good and loving Father, if we good, give ourselves in faithful obedience to Him, that He's going to make it worth our while. Just bow our head. I'm just going to pray now. Jesus, we... Um, we just give ourselves to you. And we know that, that what we can accomplish in ourselves, that, that that's just not that much. We know that you have so much more in store for us, that you have um, just incredible things that you can do through us. And I just pray, Jesus, now that you give us a vision for that. Not just vision um, as individuals too. I just pray now for us as a church. That as a church, that we would have a vision for what you're going to do in us. That we're going to have a vision for, for the plans that you have for our future. And I just pray, Jesus, that you would take that and you would plant it deep. So we would be convinced of the good things in store for us. I just pray, Jesus, for anybody who is going through um, facing the challenges uh, in life, that, that you would just keep a vision strong, Jesus, that you would provide the strength to persevere. And, and I know that, um, you know, we know that you have great things for all of us as individuals. We want to see that. We don't want to step back before that's realized. We want it all, Jesus. We want all that you have for us. And we don't want to miss out. So I just pray, Jesus, for a spirit of resilience. Jesus, that we would stand firm. That we would keep our eyes on the goal. That we keep running the race. And we do this, Jesus, not because we feel like we need to grit our teeth. Like that's all that we have in this life. We do this because we know that you are going to do some amazing things. We know that you're going to release your power in ways that we haven't seen before. And so we look in, in expectation to you, Jesus. In your name. Amen.